0: Morning. Morning to all of you. First Sunday of fall, been not bad. We'll take them if they're like this. Glad to be with you this morning in this room. Church family, those of you watching online as well, glad that you are here. As has been said by Pete, maybe Jason as well, in the last 20 minutes or so, we are in a series called Our Four Habits. And these habits are essentially things, and probably for most of us, not new. This is an opportunity for some of you. Maybe they're new, but for many others of us, they need to be renewed. That's why we're coming to this uh, time. And we're in the second of uh, four habits. Last week, we talked about spending time with God. This morning, we're going to talk about spending time with others. What does that mean? It means choosing to live out your faith, expressing a desire to go deeper in your faith, wherever you find yourself today, in the context of community, not just a random group of people anywhere, in the context of community, other believers who are looking sort of heading in the same direction you are, who are part of your team, part of your a cohort, part of people who are invested in you as you are invested in them. That's what we're talking about here uh, this morning. Colossians 3 is where we're going to be in a minute so you can open up your Bibles or turn them on. Uh, in the letter of Colossians. Let me say something briefly as we get into this, just one passage, about the letters of Paul. Okay, many of you know the Apostle Paul wrote a lot of letters, including this one. In fact, 13 letters of the New Testament are are generally believed that Paul wrote. So that's a lot of the New Testament, uh, 13 letters. But here's what's almost true, uh, or is true, I think, but it's a different degrees. In all of these 13 letters, including the one we're looking at here, there's a certain pattern, and it was been noticed over time, but if you if you actually thought about it and read them, you, it would it would be obvious to you. And this pattern in all of Paul's letters is this: the first half of the letter, for the most part, is unpacking big ideas we might call them it's the it's the big ideas going back to Jesus who changed everything both his teaching and his work his death burial and resurrection what he did in his person and what he taught sermon on the mount you know the parables Jesus this is all new right For if you happen to be you know an old testament a Jewish person all of this is new the church starts what the apostles do including the apostle paul they have to take this teaching of Jesus they have to take these big theological ideas and begin to talk about them, make sense of them in this thing called the New Testament church. That's the first half of these letters. They're big ideas. The second half of these letters is taking those big ideas and bringing them down to the level of how do we live them out as followers of Jesus, right? That's another challenge. It's one thing to celebrate, maybe to even come to understand the teachings of Jesus and how they are lived out. What are the big ideas of being a follower of Jesus? It's quite another matter. Right? To take these big ideas, redemption and grace and the Holy Spirit and sanctification, take these big ideas and see how they're going to transfer into my life and transform my thinking and my feeling and my doing. Okay? That's another matter. And when you get into those sections, here's what you realize about the Apostle Paul. He's a realist. Okay? Paul is a realist. He understands as I think I understand over time more and more, hopefully you understand over time more and more, that trying to be a Christian, I'm to talking about whether or not you're, you're forgiven or not, I'm talking about becoming more like Jesus in your life, Right? that's not easy work. Okay. Every Christian is a work in progress, including me, and including you, no matter how long you have been a Christian. And central to that progress, my point this morning, is other people. Believers, not just any people, believers, who are in your life by permission, you don't have to do it, there's no no, mandate, it's a bad word these days, but there's no mandate for you to have people in your lives that are invested in your spiritual growth. You have to choose that but people who are in your life who have access to your life relative to helping you become a deeper follower of Jesus. So that's what we want to talk about today. The title of my sermon is the title of this second habit, Spend Time with Others. Follow along as I read just this one passage in the middle of one of these letters, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Therefore... That that, that should be a a, a signal to us, Romans 12, 1, that kind of notice. Therefore, I'm done with all the big, deep theological talk. Now let's get boots on the ground. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If uh, any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues... Whether a word and deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Through him. You know, Nicole's edited story that we just saw said everything that I want to say in my sermon in, you know, in three and a half minutes. Okay? This is what I heard her say. She was at a place in her life where she felt lost and she desired to have a more fulfilling relationship with God but she realized she couldn't do that on her own. So important, because many we all think we're the exception. It's just, I mean, I've been through this so many times. A month. You think you're the exception? She says, "I know the Bible. I, grew, I know this. I know that." Or maybe you say that, and you know, people. Oh my gosh, people are a pain in the side. You know, they're so difficult. They're so problematic. Not me, but all the rest of them are. Okay, <laughs> I don't need people. Say. She felt lost. She wanted a more fulfilling relationship with God that she couldn't do on her own, and God led her to, okay, a group of people that were supportive, that prayed for her, that cared for her, that loved her in a way that she wasn't sure was certainly a way she didn't expect, and I'm sure I'm not sure listening to her that she actually thought was even out there in the world, but she discovered. Uh, that it was. There are five virtues mentioned in this passage. Go back to the passage. Therefore, as God's chosen people, he's given us a directive. He's talking to the congregation here. Boots on the ground. Theology in your everyday life. Holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with. And he mentions five virtues. Listen very carefully. This is direction, instruction. And of course, it's a metaphor. He's not talking about actually clothes. He's saying, listen, as you go out into the world... You need to put some things on, right? Use the metaphor of putting something on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. There are five virtues. Let me just say one thing. They could all be a sermon. You're not going to get one from me this morning on these. But here's here's what's common in all five of those virtues. They have to do with contact with people. That's what he's saying. Put these on. It's almost like if I say to you, you know, we're going to a meeting, and I say, you know, uh, uh, Courtney, put your game face on. Because we're going into a sales meeting. In other words, it's all about the people you're going to walk into. And he's saying, listen, as you get ready for contact with people, put on these virtues. But they're all about contact with other people. Now, let me say something very quickly to tie last week's message into this week's. You might say, well, that's great. But here's what's very important about putting on these virtues. So that I can show up for people like people showed up for Nicole. I can exercise compassion. I can exercise patience. I can exercise these different virtues or receive them. I got to make sure I take something off first. In other words, before you put on the clean clothes, looking at Julie, if maybe you tell your kids, take your dirty clothes off first. Now let me back up. Chapter 3, verse 8. This is last week's message. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. So you got to take something off. Before you put something on, if you really want to have meaningful contact with other people relative to your walk with Jesus Christ, you must rid yourself of these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. What kind of people were in this church? The same kind that are in this one, <laughs> okay? Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. In the knowledge of God. Let me say this very quickly. How, does, how do you do that, Rob? How do I take off, even if I'm willing to admit that I have a, a rage and anger and, and, and bitterness and filthy language? And how do I take those things off? There's only one. You cannot do it on your own. Last week, what I said this you need to be, you need to start by spending time with God, You need to, if you're here last week's sermon, you need to get on the operating table. You need to become vulnerable before God so God can, Psalm uh, 19, 14 and following, so he can help you discern the things in your life. Who can discern my errors? You can't, only he can. He can help reveal your hidden faults like your lying and your pride and your lust and he can point out those willful sins that need to be confronted in your life. If you don't spend time with God, to do spiritual surgery where the searchlight of God's word comes. But listen, it doesn't just come as a judge. It comes full of grace and truth and healing. He says, my daughter, my son, don't worry. I know you're struggling with lying. I know you're struggling with lust. I know you're struggling with greed. I know you're struggling with so much judgment. It's okay. I'm going to bring not only the light searchlight, I'm going to bring the grace to heal you. you got to spend time with God first. That's how you deal. That's the taking off. And see, what a lot of people do, maybe some of us, we we get in small groups, we raise our kids, we get married, we work with other students. In other words, we want to take these virtues and we want to get into community, but we don't take the old crap out of our lives. And so we get it. We we think we're helping people, we're not. Because underneath all these smiles and these, you know, you ought to think about this and you ought to think about that, out comes all of the things in chapter 3, verse 8. You can't help yourself and you throw up all over your spouse, and you throw up all over your kids, and you throw up all over your small group, and you don't do any good. you got to spend time with God. you got to get on the operating table. Then you spend time with God. Time with God needs to be worked out in time with people if you desire to have a deeper experience with the gospel in your life. Now, quickly, with that said, here's how these two things go together every day. He's going to say in this very short passage, which you already read, he's going to encourage three choices, which I'm encouraging you to make. This is what a small group looks like, whatever configuration it takes. Three choices that you need to be doing again and again and again in the context of a community. Choice number one, choose to forgive. Choose to forgive. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. What an interesting statement. What a bold statement. And by the way, as we've come to understand biblical um, uh, you know, scholarship, this is one of the places, Colossae, that Paul had never visited when he wrote this letter. Okay? He didn't start every church. He had a band of others that helped him and then he went around and you know, circuit-rided around, so to speak. So you're saying, Paul had never been to this church. How, However, did he know... That there were people in this church he would never been there who had anger, rage, slander, filthy language. How did he know to give them the advice that they ought to bear with each other and forgive each other? What made him think that they might even have any grievances against each other? How presumptuous of him, right? No, he's a realist. The realization that believers are works in progress means, listen very carefully, that forgiveness is absolutely essential for personal growth. And listen, forgiveness is not something by the way. He says, this is, a, this is a directed by the apostle, but it's from me through him to you and me today. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. It's not God's forgiveness to us. It's us to others. If you have a grievance of any, against anyone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's not something that you, you're gonna need to do someday like, you know, you have these things, you know, these promises or these valuable things. You, you put them in a drawer. Someday I'm gonna need that. You know, someone says to you, I owe you one. Someday I'm gonna need that. Someday I'm gonna need to pull out the forgiveness card and use it. No, that's not what he's saying. If you understand what it means to follow Jesus. This choice to choose to forgive, it's not something you need to do someday. It's something you need to learn to do almost every day. Why? Because you're a sinner and you live in a world full of sinners, okay? Newsflash, wives, ready for it? Your husbands are sinners. Newsflash, wives, or husbands, I'm sorry. Your wives are sinners. Newsflash, children, your parents are sinners, Okay. The people you work with are sinners. Your boss is a sinner. The people all around you are sinners. Forgiveness is not something you do once in a while. You save for a rainy day. It's something you need to learn to do every single day of your life if you really want to experience what it means to be a full, mature follower of true forgiveness of Jesus. Let me say this. True forgiveness is the heart of Christian love. You know, you've heard these things before pastors talk about the different kinds of love in the Bible, the three different Greek words, you know, you know uh, phileo, eros, or eros, phileo, these are, and, and, and agape. They're just three words to say, the, the nuances of love. But agape love, you've heard that term before, is some say it's the quality, it's not the love only that God served when Jesus gave his life for us, that's a good example. But it's used of human beings too. In other words, it's, it's sacrificial love. It's making a sacrifice. It's not quid pro quo. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Some, a lot of love is that way. But this is not what agape love is. Agape love is, listen, I'm gonna lay down my, my wants and I'm gonna serve you whether or not you're making me happy or not. Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, Jesus hanging on the cross. See, that kind of love, forgiveness, it's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And let me say this, this, this choice to choose to forgive, it's one of the hardest things that any of us will ever do in our lives. And you have to do it a lot. Forgiving people, exercising, it is one of the hardest things you will do, especially on your own. In other words, you don't have anyone encouraging you and helping you. Even if you're a Christian, even if you have the Holy Spirit. Let me say this about Nicole. I don't know why the church that she was a part of um, closed its doors when she was seven or eight years old. I don't know why that is. No idea. I can imagine as a pastor. I can think of some reasons, but I don't know why it closed. But this I know from her words, it took a serious toll on her life. She never went back to church for 10 or 15 years. Her mom as well. I don't know why Nicole's three-year relationship um, came to an end. it Went from bad to being really bad or whatever she said, Okay but i can imagine it took a toll on her life and what she needed okay was not only to know about god's love she needed to experience god's love it's different she needed not only she needed a loving community that not only could help her feel god's love but to help her let go of the hurt that was holding her back say it's different Not only do I need someone to feel God's love, but see, what you don't realize in there, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you, is I've got hurt. And that hurt, when it's undealt with, becomes a callus around your heart. And you can see, you can be a great Bible teacher, but it's not saturated with the message of Jesus. And you're not really helping people, you're hurting people, and you're hurting yourself in the process. She needed a loving community to help her feel God's love and to let go of the hurt that was holding her back. So do you, so do I. You know, some of the greatest moments in my small group, the one I'm in now, been seven or eight years, but in all my small groups, some of the greatest moments are not when I'm sharing, when I'm having a Nicole moment. Sometimes they are. I've had those, you know. But it's not about me. I'm just sitting there, you know, chilling and listening. Some of my greatest moments when someone else is sharing. Because in their broken relationship today, as I hear God work, helps my broken relationship, which is around the corner. Their job loss that they're having today, when I'm thinking, oh, I'm so glad my job is, is secure, is going to help my job loss later. But it works both ways. Their great news of this new relationship they're having is encouragement and joy for my great relationship that's around the corner. Or their new wonderful promotion that I'm not having, I'm watching, I'm seeing a community. It helps me for the one I'm going to have down the road. Say. This is what we talk about when we talk about community. It is true, let me say this, this, we'll get into this later in the fall, but we talk about evangelism, about taking the gospel. It's true that the church exists for those who are not here. Listen very carefully. The church exists, Matthew 28, for those who aren't here. This is, what I think Sunday morning is, you know, this is sort of our, our camp meeting. You know, it's, it's we're encouraging each other. But then when the, the real work is done out there. We've got to go reach people who don't know Christ like you didn't and I didn't at one time in my life. So the real, the church exists for those who are not here. However, it's the love of those in the church that should be one of its greatest attractions. See, that's what really is powerful. It's not Rob's sermons or the music or, or, or the environment. That's, those are great and those are important. But really, what did Jesus say to his disciples? John thirteen thirty five. While he was preparing a sermon, while he was, you know, uh, you know talking uh, to people, no, while he was washing their dirty feet, he said these words. Love one another as I have loved you, which means not quid pro quo, you know, you guys deny me. You know, you're, you're constantly looking for something from me. You don't even know who I am. They, they, the, 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 the shepherd was, was, was struck and the sheep all scattered. I know where you guys are going, but I'm still on my feet, washing my feet, your feet. And I want you to remember this. Love one another as I have loved you. Be, why? Because by this, this is evangelism, because of this, all men will know you're my disciples. People are going to say, listen, I don't know what it is about you, but there's something about you and the way you treat other people you know, at work, in in your office, at school, as a student. There's something about you, the quality of your selflessness, that's attractive. And what I'm saying when it comes to small groups, you don't get there overnight. I become more winsome and loving in my neighborhood, at, at, at my gym, wherever, because I'm practicing in my small group. You see? I can make better mistakes there with accountable community because there are people that love me and are invested in me and as I continue to do that, forgive one, he's talking to Christians here, forgive as the Lord forgive you, you're gonna develop that muscle and you're gonna do better out in the real world. Understood? Okay. Choose to forgive second choice of communion. Exercise a strong love. Exercise a strong love. Now, Something extraordinary happens here. I only have a minute or two to show it to you. Exercise a strong love. What he says in these verses. I'm going on verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom, etc., etc. He's talking to the congregation. But those words were written very carefully to um to, to to come back to something that he said earlier. It's almost like you see a movie. And all of a sudden something happens in Act 2 and, and you're supposed to be remember something in Act 1. You go, oh, I see the connect. That was his mother. That was his, was his ex-wife. That, was, that happened, you know. There, there's, a, there's a throwback to something earlier. Well, the letters of Paul work that way too. And he's using the words teach and admonish to one another and he's talking about something he mentioned earlier. Just listen quick, quickly for sake of time. Chapter 1, verse 28. Now Paul, in the first part of the letter, in the beefy theological section, is talking about what he does and what Timothy, his partner, does. He is the one we proclaim. The we there is Timothy and Paul, the professionals. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. You want to know what my job is? Paul saying, and Timothy, we're, we're teachers. We admonish with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's our job. That's the pastor's job. Help me grow up spiritually. Okay? That's what he's saying. To this end, I, Paul, strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What he's saying in chapter 3, verse 16 is, listen, that's your job now. <laughs> that's how you're supposed to read that. Let the message of Christ dwell in you, congregation, congregation, Richly as you teach, as you admonish one another with all wisdom. What I am doing, what I am modeling, that's what you're supposed to do. Teach and admonish. Well, let me ask this so much. There's, there's, there's a couple sermons here. Let me give you it's just a couple quick thoughts. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish. So number one is you need to be in the business. This is true for Students. As as, as Pete was saying a minute ago, it's true for adults, it's true for all of us. You need to be in communities or community where you are teaching and admonishing, not just from me, not from the pastor or a pastor, and you are being taught and admonished. That's what this passage is saying. That's number one. So if you're not, that's something to think about. Number two, though, so important. So important. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as... You teach and admonish. Almost like saying, listen, make sure you have a lot of water before you go on that long hike, is what I'm trying to say. He's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's number one. As you teach and admonish. Parents, husbands, wives, school teachers, what am I saying here? What is the message of Christ, class? Someone answers, don't overthink it. What's the message of Christ? Salvation, Salvation. it's the gospel. So specifically what he's saying here, if you have to read the New Testament, when he talks about the message of Christ, he's talking about the gospel. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You've heard pastors say this. We are, or we should be a church that's gospel-centered teaching. Gospel-centered preaching. What does that mean? It means this. He says, may the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you. You teach. See, you can teach the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, the Ten Commandments. You can be a good Bible teacher, but if the message of Christ is not richly in you, if you're not teaching from a gospel-central place where you're coming out of the humility of what God has done for you, you're realizing only love can change you. Let me tell you what you do, moms and dads, husbands and wives, wives, School teachers and students, you're actually hurting people by teaching them the Bible. You're not helping them. You're turning the gospel, or you're turning what it means to be a Christian, into behavioral management, the gospel of sin management. It's all about, it's morality. Morality will kill you. It will drive you, it will dry you up like a, 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 a weed in the sun. Okay, what he's saying is, Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Back to habit number one. Every single day, who can discern his errors? I can't. Oh, Lord, I got hidden faults. You need to be forgiven. I got willful sins. Those need to be dealt with too. How are they dealt with? Through, uh, you know, the the stick? No, through the love of Jesus Christ, right? The greater love. Ephesians chapter one, I think it's verse You know, 17, seven, the love of God is lavished on us. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly, husbands, wives, students, parents, small group leaders. It's gospel-centered. You need to be teaching. That's how habit one and two go together. Now, there's another word here, a whole other sermon. And admonishing. Now, what does the word admonish mean? A regular dictionary would say something like reprove, rebuke. One dictionary I said said, take someone to task. So this passage says, I'm supposed to be in some kind of community with other Christians, taking them to task, and I assume allowing them to take me to task. Let me ask you this question. Don't raise your hand. Are you in that kind of community today? Is anybody have, besides your spouse, although that's okay too, that's a community, but besides your spouse... Or maybe beside your parent, if you're a teenager in here, and you're a Christian, are there other people who have access and permission to take you to task? Okay, that's what this passage says. Now, let me say something quick before I move on. Sometimes you hear the word admonish. It's a lot of times we 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 things are always um, we assume something before uh, what a word means, as if admonish is always negative. Well, admonish, oh, it's like the word you know, obey, oh. You know we, that we say like, admonish must mean I'm in trouble. Admonish must mean that I, I got problems in my life, and I do I got enough troubles already getting through my day. I don't need another person to remind you. Know, that's what we think of. But let me say this about admonish, taking people to task. It goes both ways. Okay, it's as important. It's as it's as important that someone admonish me not to uh, to avoid hurtful, bad thing choices as it is to admonish me to do the things that I'm too afraid to do, to do the things that I think I'm not worthy to do, to close the doors that God is opening. In fact, as I thought about my life, my adult life, because I didn't become a Christian until I was a college student, so that when I look at my life relative to people who, who are Christians who might be encouraging me and helping me a part of a small group community, when I look at my life, the most crucial conversations I've had, that is to say, the most um, consequential conversations I've had in my life from other people who have admonished me, have not been, Rob, you're running your life into a ditch. I've had some of those, and I need those. But the most crucial were the opposite, where people saying, listen, I love you. Why are you so afraid? I love you. Why are you sitting down? Why are you not getting engaged? Why are you not walking through the door that God has opened right in front of you? Okay? Let the message of Christ... Dwell richly among you, habit number one, as you teach and admonish one another. Okay, you've heard the passage, we won't go there for sake of time, Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, right? One to another as we grow up to become mature followers of Jesus, okay? Choose to forgive, exercise a strong love, last point. Learn to live in his name. This whole last paragraph is all about Christ, okay? Right? The peace of Christ, the message of Christ, whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. But all of these choices or the two I mentioned. They're done in the context of community in this passage. All the pronouns are plural, okay? Choose to forgive. Choose to exercise a strong love. What you have in this passage, okay, we're almost done, it's kind of a worship service, right? Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish in wisdom through psalms as part of the Bible. Now we have hymns and songs from the Spirit. We're singing. We're making gratitude. This is a worship service. The only thing is it's not a corporate worship service. How do I know that? Because he talks in other places. 1 Corinthians 11 is the first place I can think of. He talks about the order of worship. When you get together, don't do this, don't do that. You know, uh, this, who, this is the guy who does this, and this is the person that does that. In other words, this is not a corporate worship service. It has a lot of the elements. He's talking about something other than that. He's talking about Christian community. So the first reason is, it's not a corporate worship service relative to other teaching. But other ways, it's obvious anyway. When's the last time you were in a church service where someone next to you, not the guy, or the lady standing up here, is admonishing you and teaching you. doesn't happen, right? Except for an amen or an elbow, I'm doing most of the talking for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's normal, okay? That's normal. But Paul's saying, listen, this kind of thing needs to happen outside of here, right? You need to take that great theology, just like Paul does in the first three chapters of a book or whatever, Same thing with a Sunday morning. Hopefully you're getting something. You're getting some truth. You're learning something. Then you need to work it out in your relationships. You need to work it out in your marriages. You need to work it out in your friendships. You need to work it out in your parenting and your being a child. Right? You need to work it out. You need encouragement to do that. You need help to do that. You need friends to do that. So, let me just say something quickly. This, this morning, what, one of the primary applications of this message is that you and I get into some kind of accountable community, right? It can be a rooted group. It can be a regular old small group. We just finished this summer. I think Pete led men's and women's groups. They only lasted for a series of, of weeks. There's lots of ways to do it. But this is a sort of prescription. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. You gotta get better at that i got to get better at that. You're not going to get better at that by yourself. <laughs> Teach and admonish one another with wisdom. You need to take people to task and, and let people take you to task. You can't do that by yourself. And you're not going to do that with strangers on a bus or on an airplane. It's people you're invested with. Let me give you just a definition. This is hopefully built out of Scripture. I should say hopefully is built out of Scripture, but it reflects Scripture. We wrote this as a team, just giving it to you. Uh, in the last year the small group this is Browncroft language or our Browncroft document is the central place for spiritual growth as a follower of Jesus it's in accountable community where the truths of scripture are best applied and lived out it's not just an academic exercise this includes growth in the spiritual disciplines what are those Bible study prayer etc and the spiritual practices talk about this next Sunday Service. You gotta, you gotta get engaged in the ministry, okay? The small group is also the primary place. We care for each other as the body of Christ. Rob, do you visit people in the hospital? Yes. Do you pray with people in the prayer room? Yes. Do you talk to people? On, do, you, do you do pastoral care of a kind? Yes. Do I do it for everyone in this room or to this church? I could never do that. And even if I could, if I was Jesus-like, um, it, I, it wouldn't make. it's not how God has designed it anyway, right? I didn't know anything about Nicole's story until I saw that video, as Pete said. That's happening. It's sort of hidden in plain sight. Well, it's not happening to me. Well, because maybe you aren't taking, taking these habits seriously. That's the point of this sermon. So there are a number of groups. Rooted's one of them. Small groups, men's and women's. Let me just end with this um, website. If you'd say, Rob, listening to me, you know, I'm not in a group now. I've never been in one, haven't been in one in a while. I just want to know what's out there. I want to take a next step, okay? This is an easy place to start. And then we'll talk with you. It's, uh, it's taking a next step. And let me say this, last but not least. Already you've heard from uh, Aaron and, and Jason, a little bit from Pete, so I won't say too much more. But this is just simply a tool. Now, you can take this tool and put it under the seat of your car. Use it to prop up your TV or whatever. <laughs> you can, it's up to you what you do with it. Or, if you're inclined, some of you are already doing this kind of thing, to use it to help you. There's some better, a little simple tool in scripture interpretation. There's a simple tool in prayer, as, as Pete mentioned. And it's, 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 it lasts about six months. You can start when you want. It's not dated on the calendar. It's just weeks 26 uh, weeks, I think that's six months. Um, strongly encourage you, you can grab one today, students as well, uh, you know, this is no cost, so one per person, you know, don't resell them, I'm just kidding, okay, let's pray, let's pray. God, thank you for this time this morning, we love you, we love your word, and we want to become more uh, uh, people that in, embody it uh, in our lives, in our lives, in our, in our, um, communities, and our families. So be with us, we pray. Help us to become more like Jesus and get more serious about um, following you in Jesus' name. Amen.